Thanks for checking out another episode of the Variety Podcast, Strictly Business, in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Variety Co-Editor-in-Chief Andrew Wallenstein. As the holiday season draws near and the nation's children compose their annual letters to Santa Claus, here's one toy that will probably top a lot of lists. Ryan's World Giant Mystery Egg. Ryan is a seven-year-old YouTube sensation, one of a handful in a portfolio of kid favorites operated by Pocket Watch, a new media company run by my next guest, Chris Williams. Now, it's hard enough to get billions of video views. What Chris is trying to do is take young stars like Ryan and turn them into billion-dollar franchises akin to SpongeBob SquarePants. Thanks for coming in, Chris. But before we start, let's give the listeners a flavor of what Pocket Watch is. Here's a clip from Ryan's World. Well, Walmart, we're so excited to see our Ryan's World toys. For the first time. Are you ready? All yes, right, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Woo! Let's go to the toy section. Just that way. Let's go. Where is the toy section? Oh, right there. Okay, Chris, now to the untrained eye, this is a kid playing with toys on YouTube, and yet somehow we're going to turn him into SpongeBob in terms of the the business there. Walk us through the opportunity here. Sure. You know, I've really obviously gotten to witness firsthand a very uh, rapidly changing landscape of how kids consume content. Uh, As you know, I was formerly of Maker Studios, where I ever sort of saw a very large network of YouTube creators. I had experience at Disney through acquisitions, Maker and others, where I got to see linear television for kids really falling off of a cliff. Uh, And I got to see it in my own home Uh, and really um, my kids, you know, sitting in front of my beautiful big screen TV, you know, firing up their iPhones and laying on the floor to watch them. And so, you know, having seen this really pan out in the data, it was very clear that the kids' audience was moving from television to YouTube. There was a direct correlation in that decline on TV to the explosion of audience on YouTube. And we really felt that these new stars and formats that were becoming incredibly popular on YouTube Um, had huge opportunity to be more widely distributed both from a business perspective and a content perspective than just on YouTube. So they're amassing these huge audiences. And when you think about Ryan, we've talked, we're we're talking about Ryan's World uh, in particular, our biggest partner, Uh, you know, they were, they're amassing 6 million kids a day, 20 million a week and 50 million a month globally watching Ryan, 80% of those, I believe every day. And talk a bit about what the content is. I mean, sure. He's just playing with toys. Uh, it's not just toys. I mean, I would give it uh, a more – it may have started off specifically uh, around imaginative toy play, but it's really evolved to uh, a broader suite. And this is one of the things we love about – uh, Ryan's uh, and his parents' ambition. And it's not just his parents. He is also very ambitious. But they've actually uh, got quite an operation that, that has spun up other channels with other types of characters that inhabit this Ryan's world. So Ryan obviously being the central figure, but there's an animated character named Combo Panda and a puppet named Gus the Gummy Gator. And when you think about what a franchise is and being able to take that and broadly 
uh, more broadly distribute it and generate business opportunity from it, this one was perfect. So we obviously, you know, really looked at uh, these partnerships very closely and wanted to be able to bring uh, Ryan's World initially into retail. I think that was uh, a very uh, fertile opportunity. Uh, we knew he had amassed this very large audience, uh, had a very strong brand. He had has shown a lot of resilience in terms of algorithm changes and other things on YouTube that gave us a tremendous amount of confidence that we could do this successfully. And we were able to get licensees across different categories of uh, products. So toys obviously being a big one, but also apparel, games, activities, other things that were really organic to him and things that he loved. That's very important. It really has to remain organic to him. And people in the retail space get it. They can see even someone who didn't come from TV, which is really the traditional breeding ground for these franchises. They were like, no, we get it that it's from YouTube. It could still work. Yeah, I think we had something to prove, and it was that. And I think that normally when you think about the center of gravity for a kid's franchise, you think of television and film. And we were basically out there pounding the table saying, no, that's the old way. The new way is on YouTube where there is this massive audience of kids consuming content around stars like Ryan, that that can be the center of gravity for that multiple revenue stream business that is typically associated with a kid's franchise. And um, we've had the opportunity to prove that. So the retailers were primed a little bit to the extent that there were other companies who were doing experiments around influencers, if you will, that were seeing some level of success. But this was certainly the biggest foray. We, you know, launched with something like 18 products at 2,500 Walmarts with four feet of aisle space. You know, this was sort of an unprecedented launch. And, you know, it had definitely been something on Walmart's radar. And I think they also liked that Pocket Watch brought a brand and a business that sort of becomes that filter and that layer of professionalism that surrounded Ryan and our other partners that enable them to have the same type of experience they would have with a Disney or a Nickelodeon. That was also pretty critical. So we launched um, a couple months ago and have seen tremendous success. So you mentioned the Ryan Mystery Egg. That is certainly the number one product within the collection, but it is a broader collection. In fact, we were told by Walmart recently that the uh, just the T-shirts, the boys' T-shirts, are now the number one licensed boys' T-shirts at Walmart, eclipsing Minecraft. Uh, wow. And we've seen tremendous success with the egg, for example, where it is sold out everywhere. It's also now available at Target or should be, but it's sold out. And I was actually in Target this weekend yes. and I did see it. Well, there you go. You should have bought it because you can resell it on <laughs> eBay. No, I mean, literally that there's an ecosystem of secondary sales on eBay and Amazon resellers that has already popped up around it. That product has also become um, now on all these lists, right? Whether it's Parents Magazine or the Today Show on sort of that hot toy list. And I think we really wanted to prove that this could be a massive business. And we're looking at, you know, high eight figures, potentially even low nine figures in retail sales just in this first five months through the end of the year. And it is a pretty unprecedented launch that enables us to have 
credibility now with both our retail partners, our licensees, and other types of partners for how these brands can extend from YouTube into all these other areas traditionally associated with kids' franchises. And that is essential, not just for Ryan, but for everything Pocket Watch does, because, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't make a business entirely on YouTube, which for most of Ryan's existence, that's what he's been. That is absolutely accurate. Again, we were really careful about the the bringing on of these partners. We have a very small portfolio of partners right now. Name we have, some of them. We have four. We have Evan Tube and his sister Jillian Tube. We'll call that one. Hobby Kids, Ryan, and the suite of channels and characters that inhabit that world, and Captain Sparkles, and we. We're vetting these for a lot of different things, but most importantly was our confidence, either through data or anecdotally, really a combination of the two, that they would be able to extend, one, have longevity on the YouTube as a platform, because we need to aggregate the audience there, but that we'd also be able to bring them to all these other places, not just consumer products, but other expressions of the content, right? Either recontextualizing the short form into a half hours that can live on platforms like Hulu, or even uh, movies and TV, which, while they're not the center of the universe to us, they're certainly part of the business model. Hmm. And so talk a bit about Pocket Watch itself. When you started this business just a few years ago, uh, was was it always about kids' content from YouTube, spreading it out elsewhere? Uh, was that the plan? Yes. We believed that because of this massive evolution in the way, or even revolution in the way kids were consuming content, that that was the opportunity. And it was the opportunity to brand that mm -hmm. in a way that really differentiated us from other brands. But it had always been not only a place where we could find existing stars and formats that we could you know, really build into these franchises, but also launch new IP. And that's why we brought on folks like Albie Hecht, our chief content officer. Albie was the president of entertainment at Nickelodeon during the heyday, where he developed Dora and SpongeBob and Blues Clues and Rugrats and created the Kids' Choice Awards and really is a, a living legend in, in kids' entertainment. And the idea that our creator brands certainly open the door for us and allow us to build our business and our brand and our reach on these platforms and other places, but we can come in behind it with original IP as well that kind of celebrates the same things, shares the same DNA, kind of feels you know, like uh, uh, it could be born there or surrounds things that, that are sort of born digitally. And so I get what you and Albie bring to the table, but you also have some pretty impressive partners, UTA. Uh, talk about sort of the group of partners that are helping bring you out there. Sure. Well, in raising uh, financing, which obviously is necessary for, for most startups, and certainly ours was uh, the case, you know, we really wanted to have a great collection of investors that added value beyond just capital. And that started with, obviously, as you mentioned, folks like UTA, who's an investor and someone that we work with closely, um, Robert Downey Jr., who had been an investor and maker, hmm. John Landau, the producer of Titanic and Avatar, you know, um, 
people even in the digital space. John Scogmo, who we love, who you know founded Jukin, which owns Fail Army, and people are awesome, two huge digital brands. And a lot of it was about bringing the traditional and the digital expertise together because that's something that you know we felt not just on the business side and you know, but also on the content side, it was really important to understand all of those different businesses. They really are converged now. And in order to start these businesses, you need those types of partners. And obviously, eventually, we raised our Series B uh, this summer, and that was from Viacom. And clearly, Viacom brings a tremendous amount to the table beyond just capital in terms of uh, strategic partnership. Well, what's interesting about Viacom is they also own Nickelodeon. And if you didn't if, if Viacom was not an investor, I would be sitting here saying, like, oh, so when are you going to take down Nickelodeon? You're going to be the next one. Like, what – it just seems like an interesting dynamic. Why is Viacom putting money into you that you might argue is better off being put into Nickelodeon? Well, I feel like it's not a zero-sum game, and we all kind of believe that. And the Pocket Watch has – kind of taken on a brand identity that's very different from Nickelodeon or from Disney or Cartoon or the sort of incumbent large kids media brands uh, in that we truly do uniquely and solely focus on these digital stars and formats and launching on YouTube and have a very distinct type of content and a very distinct type of brand personality. We're very focused on play as an example. You know, you started this uh, conversation with talking about Ryan playing with toys and, and, and really broadly speaking, we're all about play. We're all about this, what we would refer to as sort of a perpetual cycle of play, which is which really means kids watch other kids play, whether that's play with a toy, and imagine a toy play situation, activities in the kitchen, stuff outside, challenges, play. And then inspiring kids to play themselves and do the same things and go outside and do play with toys and do activities and do challenges, and then encourage them to record and share their own play, right? And then that becomes a perpetual cycle of play. And so there, are, I think that this identity as a brand was something that um, certainly Viacom gravitated to, is something that could exist alongside Nickelodeon and other brands uh, in that it really we're really focused on something unique and different. And we can even have our brand be very portable to the extent that we truly believe in this day and age that you have to have a brand that travels and it has to be able to live on other people's channels, on other people's platforms, uh, in addition to, in certain cases, bringing them you know, to someplace you want them to go. So is there an advantage for a kid's brand like Pocket Watch to be in the fact that it is digital native yes. as opposed to TV brands like Nick and Cartoon trying to dabble on digital platforms? I don't want to characterize what they're doing. Viacom specifically is dabbling. I think they've made some pretty big bets and they are, they are certainly moving aggressively on the digital space, but certainly we benefit from a much lower cost structure. We benefit from uh, really having great understandings of those platforms, and particularly YouTube, whether that's how the algorithms work or how to optimize marketing there and other things that we've brought on, you know, frankly, I've brought on a lot of former maker employees who are experts at the digital side, right, to sit alongside folks like Albie who understand sort of the creative development of, of traditional. So um, I do think we have some advantages, you know, frankly, just from starting in this day and age, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have any legacy 
brand identity. We don't have any legacy cost structures that might be in models that are that are struggling a bit, you know. And I think that puts us in a great position to capitalize on on the state of the world today. And with Viacom, is it at this point? Is it more than just the money that they put in? Are there specific partnerships that you're working on with them? Yes, there are certain areas that we are very aligned in creating mutual value for each other. I think that um, one area, for example, is ad sales. Um, I think you're going to you know, see some changes in terms of the way YouTube potentially works. Uh, Viacom has basically entered a commercial partnership with us where they're able to sell our ad inventory. Uh, they can also sell branded integrations and other things. And it's nice to have the world's largest kids sales force, you know, bringing value to us. And those are things that they don't inherently have on their own. And that's made certainly a great type of uh, partnership. We're also, you know, content to the extent that we're expanding into television and film. Certainly they have a lot of assets. For example, uh, as you as you know, we were we had just signed a deal with Paramount TV to distribute internationally our 30-minute programs that we're launching on domestic man platforms like Hulu. We're super excited about that type of partnership in that it gives them something new and unique and interesting to bring out to the international markets. Uh, and it creates a lot of value for us because we're not building an international content sales team. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say on the content side, it was actually pretty easy because we already had developed a couple things with Viacom entities. So we had a film that we that is still in development with um, formerly Brian's group, Paramount Players, Brian Robbins. Brian Robbins. And now um, we also have a show being developed with Keenan Thompson at Nickelodeon. Uh, and again, we believe our brand should be portable and it should be able to live on these other platforms and other channels. And we're aggressively doing that with Viacom. You know, Nickelodeon is at an interesting moment now with Brian Robbins taking over. I think there's an opportunity for that business to be rethought. Uh, is that an opportunity or a concern for you? I mean, I guess they are kind of both competitor and collaborator. I would start by saying that all of us have an incredible admiration for Brian and think this is a absolutely huge move and huge coup for the team at Viacom to have gotten Brian to take on this position. You know, Brian is one of those unique executives who literally has had an incredible amount of creative success in television and film, entrepreneurial success with awesomeness, and I see no reason why he's not going to bring all of that experience to Nickelodeon, and I think ultimately that'll be really good for us. I think Brian will really understands what we're doing, what we're aiming for. In many ways, it's not that dissimilar to awesomeness. Different age demographics, certainly. UTA backed them as well. And UTA I, certainly sure. backed them as well. And the relationship is also still key in this business. And Albie certainly goes way back with Brian to the early days of Nickelodeon, where you know Brian essentially got his start. And you know, we hope that that rhythm of working together can continue now that he's in that new role. What I also wonder about when you're in business with Viacom is, could we see a pocket watch TV channel or a pocket watch brand on a VOD platform? Is that where your head is at as well? Yes, to the extent that there are these new digital platforms. I don't think you would see us launch on a traditional cable system. But potentially on these new virtual MVPDs that are 
becoming more ubiquitous and seeing more success with that smaller bundle and great user experience, we've certainly identified that as an opportunity to bring a different type of content and our brand promise to those screens. And that has become uh, you know, something we're developing. We'll lightly tap into some experimental other platforms first to kind of get our get feel good about the programming i mean number one is delighting kids and and bringing joy to to parents because they see their kids delighted so we want to make sure that we get programming right we want to have confidence that certain programs translate frankly from youtube to other platforms like a virtual mvpd channel or vod Uh, we are currently on Uh, platform on Hulu and on Amazon Prime with something we're pretty proud of. We created, one of the things we did was looked at these partnerships we have with the creators. And one of the uh, aspects of those is the ability to distribute the content that they already have on YouTube. And this is the most popular content that exists for kids in the world today. And how do we extend that same content onto new platforms? So we created something called a mishmash. And a mishmash, uh, a pocket watch mishmash, essentially takes the existing library Today, we focused on individual creator partners, so Ryan Mishmash, Evan Mishmash, Jillian Mishmash, and we've added elements like a host, sometimes an animated host, could be a puppet host, and upped the ante in terms of audio and graphics so that it really feels like a TV half hour and can sit next to other successful kids' TV programming, and we did that pretty much at scale. We launched 90 episodes on Hulu across six different shows uh, in this fashion, and we're seeing Tremendous success with very little promotion. We've heard that one of our shows is already in the top 30 kids programs on Hulu. Um, very anecdotal from Hulu. We don't have access to that data. But you know, certainly very encouraging that with zero promotion and not even having announced it uh, um, too long ago that it's seeing that type of success. So, I mean, bottom line, do you feel that the brands you're building like Ryan's World here in 2018 – are at a place now where in the mind share of children like your own and mine that they're sitting side by side with the SpongeBob's of the world or are you still on the way to that? I'm just curious. I think they they are. And I think a, in particular a brand like Ryan that there is something different about a Franchise and a star being birthed on YouTube, and I think you know we have a lot of experience with that now. But that there is something different about the relationship of that star and their audience than a traditional TV or film star or traditional film and TV IP, in that it's a little more intimate. You know, kids watch Ryan and his his universe of, of friends, and they believe that you know that they're just like him. And there is something about that not putting him on a pedestal, that it's a very close relationship. These kids, you know, in his audience, they want to have play dates with him. They feel like, you know, he could, you know, they see themselves in him. And I think we weren't 100% sure. We felt good about whether that would translate into uh, a business. Um, and certainly all the signals so far are that it that it has. Well, you know, there is that Hollywood truism about, kids and animals and the difficulty to work with them. And here you have a seven-year-old boy, obviously, with parents who are probably well-meaning and all that. Absolutely, He's making, I think by last estimate, $11 million a year. What, you know, is there any nervousness about, in the same way that maybe a Disney Channel could be nervous about, 
you know, dealing with a young individual and so much riding on them. How do you, uh, to me, that would keep me up at night if I were you. The truth is there, there's a couple reasons that I feel good about it. Uh, one is that, again, it's his life is not a Hollywood life. This is very important to understand that, you know, he lives in a, a modest town in a modest state with a um, uh, not a lot of interaction with his his fame that he doesn't it's not on thrust upon him all the time he goes to public school he has swim lessons he plays soccer he's basically just a normal kid who Mm -hmm. sometimes after school and on the weekends makes makes videos that he's passionate about Mm -hmm. and it is incumbent upon us and, and working with his, his parents, who run a pretty broad business at this point. They have a production uh, company and, and have a lot of people working for them. You know, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we adapt with his changes of interest. And I think that's critical. We see it with people like Evan Tube, who has been on YouTube for quite a long time. I call him the elder statesman. He's literally, you know, was six when he got started, similar to the hobby kids who were also very young and have been doing this for like six, seven years now. They're kind of these elder statesmen of YouTube. It's important that the programming evolve to really bring their passions to the forefront at whatever age they're at. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether that's gaming or other aspects and things that they might be doing, it's really important for all of us collectively to embrace that and enhance that and embody that in these other areas where we're sort of bringing those brands out. But one of the things that I think is fascinating that I've really started thinking about lately is that YouTube is unique in that Evan is lives as a six-year-old on YouTube. He lives as a seven-year-old on YouTube, as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, eleven-year-old, twelve-year-old. So his his state during that age brings in fans mm-hmm. that might be getting exposed to him at six, even though he's twelve, in a way that I think is very different from other platforms, and that he gets to live forever as a six-year-old on YouTube and and bring on these new fans they get to kind of live you know through his his aging as well. And are you or is the plan to have the fans age with him or he's got a little brother cuz that's the thing there's sort of a limited shelf life with a lot of these kid talents. Well, I think both and I think one of the reasons we have confidence in their longevity is the fact that they live on in these different ages. Um, but you know we are doing things like creating animated Series, uh, the Hobby Kids will be the first uh, that will launch. But the idea is to sort of capture their franchise also as animation. I think that's something that animated characters get to live forever, and that's something that we've identified. So we've, for example, brought in Butch Hartman. Uh, Butch was the creator of Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom, and now he's creating Hobby Kids Adventures, which will launch as an animated series on YouTube um, to kind of capture their their franchisedom, if you will, uh, in animation. And we're thinking about that broadly across our partners and with original IP. Hmm. I'm struck by the fact that you're talking about working with a very exclusive small group, which is quite a contrast to your days back at Maker, where the model seemed to be the exact opposite thing. I mean, was that kind of the learning that you came out of from that part of your career? Uh, to basically do the opposite. Yeah, sure was. Uh, not that I regret any anything, and the the idea that 
we all learned so much at that early stage about what makes these platforms and creators kind of tick and how it should work. But I think the big lesson that I came away from that I'm embodying now is that it's very important to focus on brands that can transcend just YouTube. And that is a small handful. That is not every YouTube creator. That's not every influencer out there. And that that if you focus on that smaller portfolio, you can give it the same type of resources, effort, and energy from my world-class management team to the capital we've raised uh, and really grow something special. We'll add some more. We'll add maybe four more over the next six to 12 months, but we are incredibly careful about how we add these uh, partners because to us, they really do have to embody these attributes that give us all that confidence that they can also be these franchises that go way beyond just YouTube. And that was a huge lesson, uh, certainly at Maker. When you're also talking about going beyond YouTube, I'm struck by the fact that we're not talking about YouTube sitting alongside Facebook and Snap and Twitter. You're really sticking to one platform. Why is that? I think for now, the age group that we have really leaned into is kind of this three to eight. And YouTube's the platform. The consumption by that demographic on YouTube is just very high. Uh, it's it's family-oriented stuff, and um, we're focused on that audience. And you don't see it as much on uh, Facebook, even Instagram or Snap, that 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 would be the very youngest side of those those platforms. We will lean into platforms like Facebook and Instagram uh, as we develop strategies to bring our brand to parents. And I think you'll see that coming next year, um, early next year. We have some really ambitious plans there. But the focus is way different. The content type is di- way different. It's, it's really oriented towards the parents. Got it. But at the end of the day, though, it seems like the real money is outside of YouTube, outside of digital. Uh, merchandise, I assume, you know, you've obviously you're talking about Walmart, but you've also got books is, is something that is a big part of this? Yeah, kids still read books. They actually never sort of moved over to these digital platforms like Kindle and, and ebook platforms. Uh, they love the tactile book. And so, you know, we've engaged Simon & Schuster in a partnership to create a pocket watch book imprint of which we expect six to eight books a year. We're just getting started. The first book launches on, uh, has launched on October 23rd, uh, huge run, 250,000 copies. It'll be in every retail store that you could imagine that sells books. It'll be in airport bookstores, which I was, I loved that one. Uh, I always see them when I'm traveling. And, you know, we wanted to bring that first book to market with uh, uh, all our creators. And so it's called Watch This Book. And it is, you know, look, if you ask a lot of kids today what they'd like to be when they grow up, YouTube star is inevitably a top answer. And here's the stories of, you know, four of the biggest kid YouTube stars in the world. Here's how they got that way. Here are some tips and tricks and some anecdotes and pretty pictures and exclusive stuff that uh, you may not have known about them and bringing it to kids in book form. And then the next book uh, will launch this year as well. It's called Meet Ryan. And it's just an early reader that embodies that IP, not unlike the way you would do with Mickey Mouse or SpongeBob. And, um, you know, we see a lot of potential in books in terms of extending Franchise, you know, especially with kids, books is a great, great path to do that. Well, just another way that I think Ryan is going to be a household name by the time 2019 comes around. Wish you luck with that heading into the new year. Thanks for coming in, Chris. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. 
This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Thank you.